This is the SFF Audio Podcast. Hi, I'm Jesse. Hi, I am the one they call Fred. And hi, I'm Carl Gallagher, a former space cadet. It's a privilege to have uh, such a fine, upstanding uh, proto-officer with us. Um, so I got to ask you, did you watch the episode of Star Trek The Next Generation that is an adaptation of Space Cadet for the show? Um, let's see, is this the one where Wesley was on the... Uh the flight team and they got one of their members killed by doing uh, an illegal stunt. That is, uh, um, yeah, that actually is also an adaptation, <laughs> but no, I was thinking the first one it happens. Uh, and that actually is probably even more from this book, but no, I was thinking of the one from the first season, pretty bad episode called the coming of age where he meets, uh, some, uh, he's taking some Starfleet exam entrance exams and he, he fails, uh, but they, they go through like a, uh, one of the tests is like a fake holodeck emergency or something like that. And, uh, he, he has to, you know, make a hard decision to say, close the door. I can't remember. I didn't rewatch the episode, but you know what I mean? <laughs> it's, there was, it's one, an episode crossing with the one where, uh, Troy wanted to be a deck off. You wanted to have command privileges and she had to pass the test where she ordered Jordy to die. Oh of radiation yeah. Poisoning. Jeez. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, okay. No, that uh, basically Star Trek next generation is an, is to space cadet. What, Aliens is to Starship Troopers, right? Fair. Which is surprising because I, 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 when I read Space Cadet, maybe, maybe I, I hadn't. I guess Star Trek Next Generation hadn't come out yet when I first read it. Um, and did, I barely uh, Wesley did Wesley get whipped because he did, <laughs> and that would be kind of a Starship Trooper, <laughs> Troopers kind of thing. Uh, well, Sergeant Zim's not quite in this, but he almost is in it, right? <laughs> it's interesting. Um, the Space Marines. Uh, this this book is sort of a precursor to Starship Troopers, right? So, it certainly came before it, yes, about if I'm not mistaken. 11, 12 years earlier, yeah. Mm-hmm. But also it's got, like, it's got um, the attitudes towards the Marines are different. Like, it's very interesting because Next Generation, uh, I think, is it leans in heavily into something early and then changes its mind later. Um, that is, everybody on the Starship Enterprise is an officer, Right. And then later on, we find out, oh, no, they also have these Lower Decks characters. And O'Brien goes from a lieutenant junior grade uh, to <laughs> he's like a, I don't know, he's a non-com, non-com later on, right? Chief warrant chief. officer or chief right. petty officer. They right. just called him chief, so it was vague. But like in the in the pilot, he's uh, he's an officer, a bridge officer, in fact. And, <laughs> and then later on... Um, he gets uh, demo- he gets demoted and then he gets promoted again and uh but the the thing is is that idea of everybody being officers 
is pretty weird uh, for regular military. So this isn't really regular military. And their job, you, you're in the pre-show, Carl, you're saying the, the Space Patrol is NATO? And I'm like, I don't think so, bud. <laughs> let's, <laughs> let's hash this out. Why do well, you say it's, it's NATO? Let's not uh, let's not uh, take the analogy too specifically. Mm-hmm. But uh, yes, I'll I'll stand by the analogy uh, when we get round to that part okay. of the discussion. Yeah, should should we? Because um, some people haven't read the book, so they don't realize that we're talking about um, the the space patrol in the novel Space Cadet. Oh, you don't need to recap like, it explains. for everybody. I will no. have I will have uh, sent. Uh, pirated copies to uh, everybody who listens to the podcast. Don't worry. No, no, dude. <laughs> um, actually, uh, the numbers are pretty amazing. Um, yeah, good. I mean, I, I, I don't have current numbers anymore, but we got um, better numbers than CNN, that's for sure. Oh, well, I should have plugged my novel after all. I decided to be um, classy and not mention that I am the author of of uh, The Devil's Victim and Ronald Reagan's Brilliant Bullet. So, there. See, I, I'm too classy. Your sound but, quality um, just went dipped down for some reason. I don't know why. Oh. Let me see which microphone it's a, Yeah, see. Uh, my... Oh, and he disappeared. Now, now do you hear me? Yep. That's a little fuzzy. Is, is that better or worse? Uh, that's by H. Bean Piper. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my microphone it's good it's good uh speaking uh, let's uh, okay. uh, let me sidetrack you okay um uh, one of the jokes i made on twitter about this book is uh uh heinlein was 41 i think when this book was published is that right um yes okay um, and John Scalzi's 53, and he still hasn't uh, replaced this book. <laughs> uh, uh, he, uh, you know, because I, I, I don't there's think this argument. Scalzi had, Scalzi's background does not really give him <laughs> what's needed for this book. I mean, Heinlein came to Space Cadet as an Annapolis grad yes. who'd served on a Navy ship, and that experience is is all over this book. And some of it is you, you know, there was undoubtedly some time when Ensign Heinlein or possibly even Midshipman Heinlein wound up having a long chat with some U.S. Marine Corps mm. Master Sergeant and came away from it going, wow, Marines are cool. I should become a Marine officer. And some senior officer slapped him around and <laughs> said, Oh God, no, you never cut it with the Marines. You have entirely the wrong personality. Right. That's in this book for sure. Uh, I, I agree. And that's why I think that when people say Scalzi's a replacement for Heinlein, I think they don't know what the fuck they're talking about because that's it, a bizarre statement. It, yeah, dude, it is so bizarre. Um, oh, Hugo winning podcasts have had such claims. It's crazy yeah. shit. Um, well, it does seem to me because I I was fortunate that um, Starship Troopers showed up uh, became available on my library audio app, so I actually listened to the audio of that one while I was reading the hard copy of Space Cadet. They're different, and um, they're yeah. Um, so the question is, is, um, is Starship Troopers the more mature? 
like distillation of where where Space Cadet is pointing to? Is Space Cadet like the the first draft of no. Starship Sova, okay. or or is it simply YA versus adult audience? Did, no, these did uh, Heinlein know everything that he knew or believed uh, when he was writing Space Cadet? They're different. That he they're knew. different books. Okay, primarily no, different that's... audiences. Yeah, he was going for the same audience. Starship Troopers was intended as a YA, Mm -hmm. and it was only because the editor threw a fit. Oh, yes, it was intended to be the next book in the series, but the editor threw a fit, and so he took it to another publisher. But and I believe he never went back to that publisher. Right? He was like, no, he he was like, uh, we're divorced now. Yeah, because that, that there is a a very hard edge to Starship Troopers. Well, okay, Starship Troopers is about being the person who protects your tribe, whether it's yes. you know a hundred hunter gatherers, a modern nation, or humanity as a whole. Starship Troopers is about the guy who is defending our people. Right, you Space put your cadet. body between your tribe and the danger. Yes. As he puts um, it. You know, he's quoting the Star Spangled Banner between beloved home and war's desolation. Mm. Now, Space Cadet is an entirely different thing where you have this impartial service trying to keep the peace. Mm-hmm. Right. And Not NATO. That is, <laughs> and it's, it's, in split, it's in the text that these guys are required. You know, it is in the job description, blow up your own hometown right. if your hometown misbehaves badly enough. Mm-hmm. You know, but, you know, but the lieutenant says, relax. If it comes down to blowing up your hometown, the captain will confine you to quarters so you don't have to deal with it. And our hero says, oh, well, that's okay then. Um, <laughs> which I think is pretty much the darkest moment um, in the book. It's but not a very really, dark book. What's yeah, but it is all theoretical. You have to. Yeah. You know, well, no, it's it's in the book that this is stuff that patrolmen are called on, and that's space patrol is really uh, sorry, space cadet is a sequel to Solution Unsatisfactory mm. because Solution Unsatisfactory is you know this one guy grabs control of the entire nuclear arsenal and imposes himself as dictator over the world and creates a elite patrol to enforce peace on the whole planet. And that's really what the space patrol is descended on. And mm-hmm. Solution Unsatisfactory, um, not a Heinlein title, a Campbell title, but that's probably the best title Campbell ever hung on one of <laughs> Heinlein stories. Because you notice in Space Cadet, they talk up these heroes of the patrol. There are these four names that get mentioned at every roll call, mm-hmm. and none of them are the founder. There's no discussion of the founding. Right. They never say, yes, we have a tradition. They never talk about the origin of that tradition or the founding fathers or anything. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very much that, well, yes, we were founded as a military coup, but we're better <laughs> than that now. Now we have a tradition, and we don't talk about Mr. Manning pretty much holding a gun to everybody's head to abolish global democracy. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm oh, probably okay with abolishing the 
what people are claiming is global democracy right now because <laughs> it ain't. Well, we don't have global. We That's have, right. You know, some national democracies. Mm, yeah, not so many. Well, <laughs> let me ask you this question then: Is is um, space cadet politically naive in the way that um, Starship it's Troopers? It's very is interesting. Not. It's very interesting and, and because let me, can I refine my question? Yeah, sure. Like for example. You have someone like William O. Douglas, who's a uh, was a member of the Supreme Court um, in the middle of the 20th century, and he looked at the judges that, that you, the federal judges that you had at the time, and then he looked at the members of the U.S. Congress, and he said these judges are educated and they're reasonable people, and they think just like me. And, <laughs> If only we could put those people in charge, have a panel, run the country by a panel of experts instead of these corrupt bozos who keep getting elected to Congress. But, of course, I mean, that is just unbelievably – I can't believe an adult actually believed that because as soon as you put the panel of experts in charge – then the bozos say, "Oh, I don't want to be a congressman anymore. I want to get a, you know, appoint, how do what do I have to do to get myself appointed to a federal judgeship?" And so it seems like that's what's missing in the analysis of the space cadet. Who who's running? Yeah, who picks the people who pick the people who get to be uh, the uh, in the space patrol? That's the question that I want to get answered. So yeah. there you no, go. No, I, I, this is this is right, and this is why I think it's it's so interesting to think about Star Trek: Next Generation. Right, you've got the feder uh, federation, um, and you've got these peacekeepers flying between planets, uh, solving problems, exploring. Uh, they've got weapons. There are other spaceships going around, but if we're just looking at Next Generation and not original series or anything else. Their job is to be peaceful and be officers and be correct. That That's their job. But they're not put in their jobs by being elected to their jobs. They pass through Starfleet Academy, and then they have uh, appointments, and they're approved by the officers above them for promotion and et cetera, et cetera, right? So once we look at this book that way, which it does not do... We can't ask questions like that because they're just all looked up to because they are powerful. They have fucking nukes in orbit and can nuke anybody. So they are not <laughs> democratic, right? They are not any kind of, uh, it is some sort of, uh, cadre of elite warriors. It's much more like the sort of samurai, uh, society of, of 19th century, late 19th century, early 20th century Japan. Um, and that oh. didn't work out so well for, you know, the politicians, uh, of Japan. <laughs> um, well, rather than samurai, I would say some of the crusading orders because the space patrol is very monastic. Yes. You know, not only are they living in this isolated thing, there's this big thing, you know, you never, you know, one of them does some flirting, but our protagonist, you know, our protagonist never gets laid in the book. None of his friends get laid in the book. There's a strong, you know, there's a strong impression that nobody in Space Patrol gets laid. Um, which some of it is, okay, this is a YA book from 1948. Um, you know, 
and there is little mention of flirting text decides to flirt with someone on his first shore leave who by the way is nearly naked did you notice that there's a lot of nudity in here. Nudity in this book, yeah. He loves, yeah. He loves his but, nudity. But, but, no, but that, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, you've you got know, an excellent point to make. It's, being a, it's, it's essentially a monastic service. Yes. You know, it's monks with nukes. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, gosh. And, and they are very much you know, willing to go deus vault if somebody breaks the peace <laughs> mm-hmm. as the space patrol defines it. Right. They're defining the Overton window. So local uh, national governments can do what they want as long as they stay inside the box. It's, yes. it's, it's very revolutionary. If you think like I, I was a little bit worried at first reading it. I'm like, oh, shit, is this is this a rah-rah military book? And it's no, because w- once he goes home on leave and he's talking to his mom and his dad, and I think he has a sibling, too. Um, his mom is worried about nukes in orbit, and the dad says, don't worry, they'd never nuke us. Uh, they only have to patrol us as sort of a, you know, it's just to make the others feel better. And like, Matt, uh, is it Matt? Is that the main character's name? Matt Dodson. Matt, yeah. right. Yeah, Matt is like, no, dad, you don't understand. We would nuke you. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, no, 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 you're just saying. You know, but yeah, there's like a disconnect so that... It is post-national, right? It, uh, in fact, it's 2075, and it's not uh, the United States anymore. It's the North American Union or whatever, right? And and there are Sikhs in the Space Patrol, but yes, it's mostly from North America. So I can see I can see why one might think, oh, this is like NATO, but it isn't, it, uh, or uh, maybe it is. It's just um, well, I, I see these guys big- as. Go for He's it. making a big point of you know, not just Sikhs, but there are Asians, there are Africans. Yep. Um, that it is, you know, there was a, one of the, the four heroes is a South American. Mm-hmm. He likes his South American heroes. Shows up in uh, Starship Troopers as well. Um, and there's a Texan, and you know how they they're, they're barely American, <laughs> right? <laughs> I've seen. I saw my <laughs> share of secede bumper stickers when I was living in Texas. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it was a it was a mistake to break away from Mexico, and it was a mistake to join the union. <laughs> and then they they tried tried to break away, and no, nope, didn't take. <laughs> well, there's still some sentiment there. It's it's very interesting. Um, this book is. Uh, I I completely forgotten about the plot. And the fact that they go to Venus, and um, uh, one of my friends, uh, Luke Burridge, I, I think you probably know him, Fred. Um, does, a little bit, yeah. Yeah, science fiction book we've review podcast. The, yeah. Well, yeah, I think we've been on at least once together. Yeah, a long time ago. He's, um, he's a um, Rene Girard hater, I think. Yeah, or am I, am I thinking of somebody Rene else? Girard is who? Is that the guy who invented? <laughs> He's the mimetic designer. Yeah, mimetic. Okay. Does he hate that? Uh, That's philosopher. Weird. I don't. I'm sorry. Forget uh, it. I'm. I, I don't remember who it, who it was. Okay. It was somebody. I mean, I, 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 I think the, there might be something wrong with the guy himself, but I, I think that mimetic desire th- idea is pretty interesting. In any yeah. case, um, the uh, the he, he reviewed the book, and uh, I went back and listened to his podcast on it from like ten years ago, and. Uh, he talked about how there's almost no women in the book, um, but then 
he pointed out, and it's very true, that uh, once they get to Venus, everybody's a woman, right? Right. And this is one of the one of the very funny themes I I focus a lot on because it's just so hilarious. Um, is that Heinlein's very interested in transgender stuff, um, way, way, way before everybody else, and he constantly right. puts it in his in his work, like all the time. And it's, it's well, it. All you zombies is the main one. Well, no, Friday uh, is a little bit that, but more importantly, I will fear no evil. Literally, is that right? Well, I will. I will feel fear no evil, and yes, and but all uh, you zombies, it's all over the. It's it's constantly flipping, right? Yeah, yeah, and um, and of course, uh, polyamory and incest and. And, and a bunch of other stuff. But actually, I discovered in reading this book, um, a theme that he's been telling me has been his theme, Heinlein is, um, his whole time. And I'm like, yeah, 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 you just say that. But it never occurred to me that he was really serious about it. And that is, manners are incredibly important. Uh, and I'm like, really? I don't think so, Mr. Heinlein. But no, that's his point, is the... They study all these planets, and what does the bad guy in this book do? He kidnaps uh, somebody he shouldn't have. Um, he offends them. They attack him. Um, and Matt and his buddies get out of it by being polite and managing manners, right? He insults them for not... He shocks them to their core by saying, you know, you're treating us as if we're not human. Uh, that, mm-hmm. that means you're rude. And so, like, and if you remember, like, if you've seen Heinlein interviewed, you've, you know, read his books, you start to notice, like, he really does really care a lot about manners. And Well, this, yeah, this is something he comes back to regularly. I mean, one of the Lazarus long lines, you know, that that manners are the oil that lets the, uh, the machinery of society function. Um, and Friday talks about there's a line about uh, bad manners are a sign of the uh, a society that's going to uh, collapse. Yeah, degenerating. Indeed. And uh, I think she kills somebody in the book for bad manners in Friday. Um, and in fact, that is the cardinal sin. You can, you know, you can do cannibalism, incest, as long as you're polite about it. It's all fine. <laughs> I'm a little, little bit joking there, but, uh, it is very interesting. Like the, the politeness demands that he, uh, say that his fellow crewmen are all female and that his boss is his mother, right? The, the lieutenant with a knock on his head is a mother to their group. And that's literally not true. Somebody's doing some very noisy. Oh, that's that's me. It's Let's see. Very uh, noisy. It's picking up everything. Yeah, on on manners, there's there's definitely a point to it, um, and there's also an interesting discussion where, you know, there's a pronoun argument. It's like you know, mm. you know, don't call these androgynous people it. It's mm. you. You call her she because she's a person. Um, you know, so that's I, I'm. I think that's the earliest argument about what um, 
what pronoun to call people that I can remember being written. Mm. You know, other than the various, you know, Shakespearean character in in dis- in cross-dressing disguise. Right, stuff. right, right. Um, um, I would say that I he. It, oh, crap! I'm sorry. My headphones clicked out. Go ahead and uh, go on without me for a moment. Okay. Um, I was thinking. Uh, I, I think a lot about what Heinlein would be like on Twitter because uh, you know, assume assume he was not, you know, 170 <laughs> years old when it came out. Uh, the tweets, but I, I think, yeah, would his pronouns be in his bio? <laughs> and if they were, what would they be? Um, because it is very popular and very polite thing to do. I think a lot of the reason so many people put pronouns in their bio on Twitter is because they're trying to be polite. I saw Mark Finn, who is a Robert E. Howard guy, uh, has pronouns in his bio, and I didn't notice that before. Um, a lot of people do that because they're trying to stand in solidarity with other people, not because they're worried that, you know, the beard might, uh, hide their gender. <laughs> I, I have the long gray beard. I, I figure it, it saves everyone the trouble. And, uh, I tend to not waste characters on Twitter because it strongly trains you not to. It's hard to fit it all in, right? Yeah. But uh, I I don't show, you know, like I'm I'm not even a person on Twitter. I'm just the name of my account and a bunch of jokes. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm back. By the way, we're um, getting that. Yeah, welcome back. <laughs> welcome back. Um, do, do you feel like there's really not a justification in the book for why they chose to translate the the, the, the and thou's Venerian word as she oh. as opposed, you know. Because we're seeing that all in English. Yeah. So, and, and I think he makes a gesture toward, well, it's not really, they have the, all these genders. So, so what, I mean, why, why pick she? Why, why not for the purposes well, of translation? There, there was a discussion that there are Venerian males, but they're not allowed to, they're never seen okay, by that's humans. That's true. So, so and, basically because these are the, the yeah. bearing, you know, or uh, egg laying, or depending on, on it. Yeah, so what were they eating? The food that they brought. Um, it's never <laughs> explained. Um, I thought I thought they were like ovulations. <laughs> they were like, I, like eggs. Like caviar. Yeah. I figured it was probably some, you know, insect uh, stuff, you know, some insect paste, you know, mashed locusts or, you know, cockroaches or something like that I, i'm with uh, jesse a, the no, this is heinlein we're talking about this is some <laughs> byproduct of uh reproduction <laughs> that, Eggs, that, wow you know. um well there is the mexican jumping bean that uncle bodie uh was fed <laughs> exclusively on right um uncle bodie was the most interesting character who never actually shows up <laughs> in the the thing, um, uh, there was a, a funny tweet I quote tweeted, um, and I, I jokingly said, yeah, Carl Gallagher on Twitter. And then, uh, you, <laughs> you, you got a whole bunch of like, uh, very Twittery things, p- people responding to it. And I'm like, save it for the podcast myself. So I didn't, <laughs> I didn't wait in there, but basically, um, it was the SFF 180 guy who's got a YouTube channel. Saying, um, uh, Matt and the crew of Space Cadet uh, are 
wrong because not wrong. They're just so old fashioned. They're using slide rules. Uh, this is why science fiction is, and I'm sort of misstating it because I'm not actually rereading it, but basic, uh, I should just dig it out, right? <laughs> Basically, um, uh, the, the thing that's left out is, is they have cell phones, right? <laughs> like, and, and that's in the conversation, uh, that happens. You don't happen to have this handy, Carl, do you? Um, I'm digging back through my notifications yeah, to see lot. if I can find it. <laughs> uh, uh, I'm going to type in, yeah. <laughs> and now, let's see. Our, previ- our last exchange was me bitching about the SLS launch. Uh, oh, yeah. And you uh, were, yeah, I, I had heard, oh, here it is. Okay, so Thomas, uh, a.k.a. SFF180, was replying to Sean Duke, who has me blocked. Uh, I don't know why. Uh, March 25th, 2020, he says, Reminder of just how little science fiction authors were able to predict in terms of practical things. Heinlein had his boy space cadet still using slide rules in the future. And then Bill Christensen, who runs a very interesting and very strange website called Technology. That's his account as well. Um, he said, if only somebody came up with a list of like, oh, I don't know, maybe 185 ideas of inventions from the works of Robert. <laughs> and, uh, I, I still have that page up in a tab. I mm. haven't had time to read through the whole thing. Um, I will say this for slide rules, and I got a trilogy out of it, my Torchip books. The beautiful thing about a slide rule is it cannot be infected with a computer virus. No fucking kidding. It, cannot, it doesn't need batteries. And, and you know, it cannot become self-aware and turn you <laughs> into paper clips. <laughs> so there, there is a strong, you know, a strong advantage to the slide rule. The, the, uh, it doesn't need batteries, right? When you go into outer space... You could have a solar powered <laughs> calculator. That's great for when the, the power goes out. You could have a battery powered calculator. Well, that's no, great no, no. until the battery runs out. You could when have. When the Butlerian Jihad comes, we'll use our slide rules to smash all the computer chips. What's so interesting <laughs> is I don't even think slide rules got very much mention in this book. In fact, some, one of the headmasters in this book or teachers or, you know, patrolmen, says uh, do the calculation in your head right and he he they they try it and uh at one time in the story it doesn't work very well and the other one he's always running these math drills and so to me saying not getting calculated like i don't know did the apollo astronauts have uh slide rules or did they bring a calculator they probably had slide um, rules with them right they probably did yeah and as long as I don't you have, I think they did actually because they had a radio, so all indeed. the math got done on Earth. All the, the all the important math, yeah, the math for them, yeah. But as long as the radio holds out, right? But it, <laughs> yeah. to, to me, like having, you know, saying why do you need a uh, why do you need a knife when you have a uh, Jedi stick, <laughs> right? The thing is, a Jedi stick, whatever they're called. Lightsabers. Well, uh, uh, (laughs) Jedi sticks. Um, they run out of batteries, presumably, right? They have Mm. to be charged up. You have to be put in the USB port. What if your USB uh, battery bank is not working, right? I think the plutonium only needs to be recharged every 300 years, though. (laughs) Indeed. That's, uh, see, you could have an atomic calculator, but Mm. wouldn't it make more sense to 
bring a slipstick with you? So the fact that that kind of, that's why I didn't like, uh, I screenshotted it also because I wanted to preserve it. Like that kind of thinking about what's wrong with science fiction is so fucking stupid. I'm not saying that this guy is stupid, but that kind of thinking about what's, what science fiction is, is so fucking stupid. We should be surprised that anybody ever gets any kind of prediction about right. what technologies are going to be right because that's not actually what science fiction is right it's just really easy to criticize on that level but it's so stupid because the thing what this book is really at its core about is what Heinlein is incredibly interested in is holy shit we developed a fucking nuke and now what are we going to do well, I mean, a lot of what this was is various people in 1948 were saying, hey, we need to have a one-world government so that we don't have a nuclear war. Indeed. And Heinlein was saying, okay, here's your one-world government. This is what it looks yes. like. Yes. In the best you know, scenario. Yeah, yeah yes. This is, this is ideal. I mean, uh, or, God, could you imagine? Optimal. You know, uh, say optimal, yeah. You know, say the space patrol, you know, living in luxury by extorting, sitting, you know, by extorting <laughs> nations. It's like you need to up your tribute this year, or totally, we pick a, or yeah. we pick a city and nuke it. Send more space babes because uh, the uh, celibacy <laughs> is getting very tiresome on these. Yeah, <laughs> it's funny because it's true. The thing is, is this is actually real politic, right? Um, the, uh, I was mentioning before, I think it was, uh, to you guys just a minute before we started. I'd seen the new Top Gun movie, right? And there's, there was a really funny, uh, line I was comparing it to S Star Trek Techno Babble, right? Where they, there's, you know, have Geordi or the four, uh, uh, I don't know, some other engineer or data. Uh, say something to the captain about how they got into this plot hole, <laughs> how they're going to solve it so they can go back in time or whatever. And so they make a bunch of sounds that come out of their mouths and they sound pretty good, you know, but really, uh, the answer is they wanted to get into this situation. And that's where the plot of Top Gun Maverick is. Uh, Iran, uh, had a deal with the United States. We won't develop our <laughs> nuclear program. Um, and then a president canceled that, right? And now they're trying to get it back or whatever. So the plot of that movie is they're going to nuke the, uh, enrichment facility. And it's basically, it's Star Wars, right? It's a trench run. <laughs> it's very yeah, simple, very, very simple. But what's so interesting about it is it literally the countries of the world that have nukes don't get to dictate to the other, uh, the countries of the world that have nukes don't have to be dictated to by the countries that... Uh, yeah, they're the cool kids. Well... The, bull the bull playground bullies. Well, yeah. I was just thinking, like, like uh, it's kind of crazy to go to war with China because they have nukes. It's kind of crazy yeah. to go to war with Russia because they have nukes. Um, South and Africa. We are at war with Russia. That's the that's the fucking insane part, right? Well, it's <laughs> always a proxy war, then. Well, yes it's, yes, it's a proxy war, but you know, I mean, I was in uniform when we were doing a proxy war with the Soviet Union right. in Afghanistan. Right. Yep. Yeah. Um, but then, then you got to uh, have your own proxy war. <laughs> 
<laughs> was done by uh, Osama bin Laden, right? <laughs> it's like, and let's let's go experience what the uh, it, it's it's a big game. It's a big game. Yeah. But um, well, that was the the fun thing of going up against a decentralized network rather than a or a popular movement, depending on how you define it, rather than you know a roughly equal power uh, nation state. Which uh, made all sorts of complications for uh, for the military. It's uh, it, to me th- that is what makes this book interesting is that he actually has a real idea behind it. He said, um, "We have this problem, nukes. How are we going to manage it? Well, we're going to put the nukes in orbit, and anybody who misbehaves gets nuked. We're going to try and stop <laughs> that from happening by going down there and making these ne- very special, highly trained negotiators." Um, his his major sin to me, and I don't see Thomas from SFF 180 or a lot of anybody else except for me complaining about Heinlein's major, major sin is that he thinks hypno, uh, hypno, uh, teaching is a real thing, right? It ain't. It well, don't work. Yeah. It, yeah. He does it in Starship Troopers. He does it in this book. He does it in a few other books. Um, it'd be great if it did work. It does not work. That is the tech that sucks. <laughs> yes, but there are lots of ideas that keep getting, you know, that people will keep being fans of, you know, after they've failed disastrously in the real world, you know, and compared to socialism, hypno learning is, <laughs> is not causing nearly as much damage. Wow. Now we're going to disagree because <laughs> one's real and the other isn't. <laughs> Um, yes, well, real. Uh, there's, you know, there's real eight-figure body counts from socialism. So there's uh, argu- arguments uh, uh, about where those numbers come from and and other things, but um, we, we also know it's it's countervalence, which is uh, team anti-socialism, and so it also has a body count. But is that in this book? I don't think it is. I wanted to, I wanted to always try and figure out, and I'm not sort of that interested because I think it's more interesting to look at the books individually, but I've seen a bunch of Heinlein juveniles over the last few years. And sometimes Earth is a super dystopia where everything's overpopulated. People don't have enough food. Uh, Starman Jones. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I actually haven't read that one since I was a kid, but, um, uh, oh, it's awesome. It's got the best slide rolls. I, I have a feeling that's, uh, we're running out of, uh, juveniles. There's 12 total, I think, uh, not including Podcane or Starship Troopers, just of the Scribners, I guess. Um, and I think we've done eight. Uh, it'll be nine with this one. So, um, Starman Jones is on my list of ones to, to read again, but I think it might have been Between Planets or something. They, Oh, it was uh, Farmer in the Sky. Um, and oh, we yeah. get a Ganymedian boy here, right? Uh, entering the patrol. But uh, they emigrate to Ganymede because Earth is so shit. Like, they don't have enough. They have one room apartment. They don't have enough food. Uh, he get, His father gets married to, like, uh, make make it so that they can emigrate. And, uh, you know, he's a Boy Scout, but, you know, his proudest possessions are his, his belt pouch because he don't have any other possessions, right? Yeah. Um, 
And and th- so this is not that exactly. And also I read um, Star Beast recently, and that one is almost um, rural. Everything's rural. And it's actually... So it must be farther along in the future history. Sometimes Earth is a hellscape, and sometimes Earth is uh, more normal. And I thought what we little we see of Earth here is pretty normal. And you know, minus the occasional craters like Denver. Right, right. Good point. <laughs> and well, that's the reason for the patrol, right? Is to uh, yep. unless they did that, did they do the Denver, or is that from solution? <laughs> Unsatisfactory. It was never said. Um, now, uh, yeah, I don't. I don't remember just, solution unsatisfactory that well. I, yeah, there are several um, unexplained um, details in this book, which I think uh, is a smart move in a lot of cases. Yeah. Get, uh, to leave things un, uh, unexplained. He gets that uh, phone conversation exactly right, and most of that the tweet thread. Um, was about like whether he was lying to his dad or not. And I actually was thinking of bringing that up because, uh, as Luke points out in his show from 10 years ago on this book, um, the reason Matt, uh, passes becomes, uh, and all his buddies, uh, except for the kid he hated and who is a villain in the book. Um, the reason he passes is not because he's smarter than everybody else. It's because He's just so gosh darn honest. And when he doesn't know something, he, and this is a Heinleinism, quote unquote, looks stubborn or looked stubborn. That's <laughs> a very Heinleinianism. Um, so that idea of like when he picks up his phone, uh, his dad said, is that you? They don't have call display, right? Um, <laughs> is that you, son? And he's, the dad asks him, do you ha- how's your leg? Is it giving you any trouble? And Matt dodges the question, um, saying, it's fine, dad. Um, look, I gotta go. I'm in a crowd. Uh, that actually is all sorts of interesting, but also, is he being honest there? And there's a lot of sort of, relationship between being honest and manners right that was delicious you say to somebody who's just made some food for you because you're being polite is that dishonest i can see the argument for it well there's another strain here which is that we are at the you know mid-century standards of masculinity a man did not you know say no i'm hurting you know right you know, it's like, you know, unless he is actually taking a bullet through that leg and can't stand up, <laughs> he's not going to say, ow, I need to sit down for a bit. You know, I just need some me time. Hurts, there's no reason to, to wimp out. Yes. There's a standard that's expected of men. And I mean, and Heinlein, you know, grew up in, you know, not necessarily rural, but, you know, at least somewhat, you know, had inherited some rural traditions of the farmer stoicism, went into the military with its own traditions of stoicism. And well, and you, the you whole, did not show weakness. The, the whole business of a drill sergeant, uh, as demonstrated in, in um, Troopers. Starship Troopers, is to beat out of you that complaining mm. and it's not fair, you know, kind of attitude. And that, yeah, that's 
uh, that's very stoic. Well, I, I was I was actually I thought about that question, but I was actually even more interested in the question the father asks him and why Heinlein put it in. And one of the one of the funny tweets I think I made um, was. If you look online, just on Twitter, and you type in Heinlein was, uh, <laughs> you know, and you fill in the blank, there is an endless list of ists that he is. And I'm not talking scientist, racist, misogynist, fascist. Uh, fas- oh, don't forget the fascist, Jesse. Yeah. Um, a bunch of other ones, right? Um, uh, ableist. I searched it up. There are people who claim it. Um, I think. They really either need to read reread Heinlein, which they ex- seem to say it was good for me, but I never need to read it again because he's a racist, misogynist, ableist, sexist, uh, pederast, or <laughs> incestuous. No, that's not an ist. Bunch of big long list of things to hate. And then I said, well, what about the Ians, right? Libertarian, <laughs> um, bunch of other ones uh, uh, people love to classify him but i think reading a book like this it makes you say he's anti-racist he's literally trying to put the idea that there are other people with other skin colors that are equally interesting and good people he never has like the the uh i i, I guess there was um wasn't there a uh, yellow peril story I think there was an early yellow power story in the pulps What's uh six six sixth column six column right and his famous line about it was that he worked it from a uh an outline campbell gave him and uh, quote had to re-slant it to remove the racist a- aspects that sounds which difficult. having read slant is an column, interesting choice of words yeah you know, people are sensitive um, it's it kind of makes me shudder in horror thinking what was the original campbell outline like is <laughs> If that's what it was like after removing a bunch of racism. Uh, <laughs> but he was actively anti-racist, right? He's yeah, active, well, yeah. actively anti-racist. And so the, but, so the traditional female roles in here, why are there no women in the service? Is there a parallel female service? I don't think there is. I, well, there's a, there are females in Starship Troopers, though. Absolutely. Remember, they make the best pilots. So you, you send them right into absolutely. that role. Well, in fact, 11 years of social winnowing, there's all this winnowing going on in Space Cadet and Starship Troopers where they are hyper-selective for certain traits that are going to give them the best trooper or the best, you know, um, mobile in- infantryman or the best officer right. or the best uh, space patrolman. And it de- absolutely does not matter other than those traits who you are, what you are, where you came from. That's right. So, yeah, it is preposterous. Um, they're, they're, they're precisely missing the point of these two books anyway. Well, yeah. um, and a lot of it is people just want to take down, you know, the big figure to move up them to move up themselves. Yes. So you want <laughs> You don't need you to read anything credit. past 10 years ago is literally what many people have said. Like if you type in 10 years ago, you, it'll come up but yeah nevertheless no no it's always 10 years it's always 10 years there's our friend who would say 1980 but yeah your point okay yes there's there's a guy who says don't read anything after 1980 which amuses me because he's done a favorable reviews of a couple of my stories did did he (laughs) write that after 1980 
<laughs> no, no, he just discovered that he can get a lot of clicks by being obnoxious. Wow, yeah. uh, that's one way and, to go. Um, let's think let's not get started because yeah, he he attacked me one time while not really bothering to figure out what the heck I was saying. Oh, but that's Twitter. That's it, Twitter. it is absolutely. Um, <laughs> uh, I want to uh, I want to go full Fred conservative for a minute and uh, make the argument for why it is and should be an all male service. You ready, Fred? Go ahead. All right. So uh, having females in the service will make things more complicated for all these horny young men who are trying to be monks, right? Space monks. Right. It uh, undermines um, the formation of a sort of exclusive military culture, you could say. Absolutely. And there are um, other books where I believe uh, Tunnel in the Sky, for example, where uh, they – have one of the characters' sisters is in the quote-unquote Amazons, which is a uh, exclusive female military service unit. Um, and when she comes out of it in her mid-30s, as these guys do, she'll probably get married, settled down, and wear a nice uh, frock coat and make somebody dinner. Become um, a trad wife. Tra- become a trad wife, right. And all these boys are going to become trads, trad husbands, or maybe stay in space, uh, et cetera, et cetera. The thing is, is for most of human, uh, existence, boys do boy stuff, girls do girl stuff. Um, they come together for sex and uh, occasional other things, maybe half raising of children, maybe not, depends on the culture. Uh, it, to me, that was not a big issue at all, that it's all, all male service. Um, because it used to be, and largely still is, especially in countries uh, with more freedom of choice for people because they have enough economic status to not take whatever job is available, um, that women do gravitate to some jobs over others, right? Nursing, for example. Very popular well, amongst females. If you look at uh, Scandinavian countries, which That's are what I'm widely, talking about. Uh, believed to be the most egalitarian, they've legally got, They've egalitarian. got more capital per individual than other yeah, countries. And they're wealthy. That's and So presumably people can pursue the careers that they want. And to many people's shock, you find that there's more sexual dimorphism. That's not the right term. It's uh, close enough. More sorting of men into men's jobs and women into women's jobs, where presumably uh, the women's preferences are more in control of those decisions than anywhere else in the world. Indeed. And, you know, there can be exceptions. Men and women are very similar despite being very different. That's absolutely true, too. Yes. Uh, So uh, it doesn't surprise me that, you know, when you could have a story set uh, in – the space cadet universe where a woman says i'm good enough i'm strong enough uh i can i can and work. gosh darn it people like me <laughs> i wasn't gonna go there but yeah <laughs> uh, sorry but, uh, uh, but i can work a slipstick as well as any man yeah. um yeah uh, and there might be some conflict there right because uh it is a boys game uh, we get the line woman hater in here i thought that that was sort of the concession to the very juvenile um, <laughs> very, very juvenile set rather than, um, he's, a, he's a homosexual or anything like that. I, I don't think that it was going in that direction, but the, the attacks on this as being a, uh, bad at predicting 
I think are, are stupid because it's not really about predicting. It's about dealing with the consequence of what happens when countries, plural, have nuclear weapons. You can't have a monopoly on power. Uh, and, and, I mean, look, the date on this is 1948. It's amazing, right? Going, what's that? It's amazing that he's got it well, yeah, all going in 1948. He's thinking about, he's making a first pass at what it would really take to build a ship, fly it, put men in it, and then have them steer it around the solar system. And he's getting and, almost everything right. And, yeah, I mean, well, compared, who else was writing... Um, making serious attempts to really think through what it would take to do all those things. Almost nobody. It's incredible. I can't believe that this book was written in 1948. He's totally a hard science fiction writer, except when you don't notice that he's doing hard science fiction all the time, right? Just the stuff about the, what's the, the shit that gets ruined on their spaceship uh, on Venus, the gear, the, how how you maneuver in space? You maneuver your spaceship or satellite. What's it called? The gyros. Gyros, right? Oh yeah. Um, he knows about gyros because he's he's working guns on uh, destroyers or whatever. Um, he understand. He's keeping up with the Willie Lee literature right? <laughs> illustrations. He's thinking about this stuff way before everybody else. Mm-hmm. And then you know what's what we haven't mentioned about this book. Um, is that the phrase space cadet has come to mean something else, right? Kind of the opposite <laughs> of what, <laughs> what Heinlein was going for, which is like somebody who's not paying attention, <laughs> somebody mm, who's right. uh, lost in thoughts, possibly on drugs, and uh, not with They're it. They're spacey. Spacey, indeed. And what's funny is you have to be sort of ahead of the game um, and to do something like this, which... I'd, Honestly, I, I, another one I haven't done, uh, Rocket Ship Galileo. I want to reread that. I haven't read mm. that since I was a teenager. And uh, Nazis on the Moon is all well and good, but even going to the moon, right? They make a backyard rocket. Great. Everything in this book is solid. Yeah, we know there aren't, uh, you know, Venusians at the equatorial and polar regions of Venus. Okay. Well, you, you wouldn't him. be that you, you don't do internet, um, yeah, international commerce with rockets. Even today, we're still moving most things on ships on the surface of the ocean. Yeah. For example, because that, that's why in Rocket Ship Galileo, rockets are common, but space travel had well, not been done. They, they were, if you X, I think they were X uh, male rockets, right? Um, that may be, yeah. Now the thing is, passenger travel and rapid mail, you know, travel. You can do an intercontinental missile a lot more easily than you can get to orbit. Um, it, you know, okay. And this is me putting on the actual professional rocket scientist hat. Oh yeah, good. You, good. you need you need double the delta v to get to orbit that you do to get to another continent, and since that's you. Know, going into an exponential function that means you know, you need 10 times the structural performance you know so you know it is you know it is actually reasonable you know 
we probably would have wound up doing that if we hadn't had the great power competition forcing us into doing orbital rockets as a way of doing um well, let's let me let me you know, let's just say that there were motives to do that, you know, to get to orbit even before we started contemplating going to the moon. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, if if you look at uh, the problems, just getting the Concorde or or you know those supersonic airlines, you know, simple problem of sonic boom, you know, that uh, you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. that it turned out really fast travel, even if it's jets, not rockets is has got problems that nobody expected so i guess well heinlein did expect that that came up in in starman jones that he was you know expecting to have supersonic trains and you'd have the sonic booms from them (laughs) and thought people would just live with it because uh, why would people be such wimps that they object to their transportation (laughs) well yeah just somebody invent better glass that can survive uh, a sonic boom. Um, it, 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 something that doesn't come up in this book that does come up in Starship Troopers um, and is fits in this book without being named is the reverence for the four uh, crewmen who are always absent but always present on the roster. Right, the dead guy, the Which, dead hero. To me, is the best thing in the book yeah oh you're such a sentimental guy well let me let me tell you something i mean on on the level of a lit- literature you know anal- analyzing this book is literature mm-hmm. well i read this you know as a uh, probably in junior high and it's been a long time it's been one of my favorite all-time science fiction books certainly one of my favorite uh ya books and when i read it you know this week I was shocked because my favorite scene in the book <laughs> is not in the book. <laughs> <laughs> Which one I, is that? You know, the scene where they they fly that you know Cracker Jack box, that ancient mm-hmm. uh, aircraft, and they come flying in. A star tank. And by the way, I thought the the corpses of the four heroes, or at least three of them were aboard the ship. They, they were ghosts, so, my friend. Ghostology yeah, were, is mentioned long in long. the book. I, so, mm-hmm. so I had misremembered, and through the years I have fantasized about <laughs> them coming in to the airport, and then they get so they're close enough so the walkie-talkie can finally they can contact the tower, and they say, this is the, you know, uh, USS, not, whatever. What's the name a of the ship? Astarte. You know, a spacecraft astarte permission to land mm. you know and we have honored dead you know and the guy comes back and said buddy you are messing around with the most sacred <laughs> tradition you know shut up and get off this channel and they say repeat this is the astarte and i have <laughs> lived that scene and to be able to be that space cadet you know that young kid uh, you know, taking on that, the, you know, knowing that he's living out, you know, something that's going to be instantly legendary mm. to land that craft and say, you know, contact the commandant. You know, we have, you know, in my mind, we have honored dead or, you know, we've I've got seen that in some something else uh, for sure. <laughs> maybe, maybe maybe I stole this scene from somebody else. Yeah. But to me, I have lived that in my head a million times. 
And then I get to the end of the book. And I'm like, Wait, you didn't even write that. Nope. I wrote it. Oh they, my gosh. they take off, what and then the next chapter, they're in docs. How could write he have not fic. written that scene? That's the best scene in the book. Am I wrong? Tell uh, me I'm wrong. I'm going to tell you where you could be right, okay? We're going to retcon and connect some dots that are missing, and you're going to see how that actually happened. Oh, yeah, good. Remember the beaver people, right? Living in their beaver cities under the beaver beaver oh, lakes. Oh, yeah, okay, sure. Um, yeah. I remember they bring uh, uh, the crew um, some food to eat. That was the... That was the oh, <laughs> so they were bringing them home. <laughs> Soylent Green is people. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so it's very Christian imagery. A, yeah. yeah. If I can go on a tangent, please. One thing that reading uh, Space Cadet brought home for me for me was bringing me back to some of my active duty days, um, and more particularly when you know I was a cadet getting ready to go on active duty because you know i got to do weather satellites in the air force which was a hell of a lot of fun and i learned a lot but the career field i was in you know as a space guy i was not just sitting there at a console telling satellites what to do other duties would be sitting at radar looking to see if the soviets were attacking or sitting in a silo ready to turn the key to launch an icbm you know, that was yeah. you really uh he was, was silent. Yeah, I did not do that duty, but that's something I would have been assigned to if I I'd see. made a career of the Air Force. I okay. would have taken gotcha. a turn on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I was a cadet waiting to be you know, put on active duty, I didn't know what they were going to do. I could have gotten ICBMs as my first assignment. And so something I had to sit down and do some thinking about, much the way Matt Dodson in this book was contemplating contemplating his space patrol responsibilities was if I'm sitting in that silo and the order comes down, do I turn the key? Um, this is, and just for, for anyone out there not familiar with how the U S does nuclear missiles, it's not a red button. You have two officers sitting there who turn keys and that's what makes the ICBM launch and fly off to Moscow. It's a scene in war games. And- and those yep. keys are probably at least more than five feet apart. <laughs> yes. <Right. laughs> um, it's got you know, it, it takes two. It takes two yes. to tango. Two guys in, you know, a you know, concrete bunker, you know, dozens of meters under the earth, each with a loaded pistol. Mm-hmm. Um think about you know the utility of the pistol in in that situation but you know the question is do I do I turn the key and i thought it through and while i wasn't explicitly remembering it i'm sure that remembering the stuff from space cadet and starship troopers and solution unsatisfactory and all the other heinlein i'd read fed into my decision that yes you know we have our systems set up and you know Right now, we have you know a system in America where you know the elected politicians make the decision, and there are other countries where the soldiers make their own decisions about whether or not to go to war and and do stuff. And those countries don't do nearly as well as the USA does with the politicians in charge. So, I would put my faith in uh, you know whoever the people. Are you talking have back elected. then or now? Well. <laughs> The logic of it hasn't changed as, you know, you know yeah. regardless of how, how much you dislike any of the recent 
or current presidents, you know, the the logic of having civilian politicians making the decision versus having the military make the decision. Well, that's uh, does not speak this well book to says the, the opposite, though, right? This book is saying we don't take our orders from civilians on the ground. We, well, in, we investigate, we keep the peace, so they take orders from people up the chain. But it also, and very interesting, a little different from Starship Troopers, is that you, as an officer, will ultimately take whatever orders you're given and decide if they're worthy of being taken, right? So uh, accepting Ill- illegal orders, right? Now, yeah. as a guy at the bottom of a of a silo, you don't get to in- interrogate the question, right? You just respond. Yeah. So you don't you don't have that you're w- w- would you have been an officer in that position? I can't remember if the guys at the bottom are officers or not. They're sergeants. They, they? I was I was an officer. Oh, okay. Uh, the key tur- the key turners are all officers. Are they? Well, well and, and when when you're in a silo, you're only get, you only have information right. that's given to you right. anyway. Yeah. yeah. You're not out there um, peacekeeping and uh, in the negotiation rooms. In 1975, you weren't yeah. uh, browsing the internet uh, <laughs> to get the real. Story, the real yeah, story. Q is like, telling me what what's really going on. Not that old. Yeah, okay, I was just picking picking a number. Uh, yeah. yeah, but you know, yes, I wound up personally going much more with the Starship Troopers, you know, defend your tribe thing, because the thing is, we don't have an idealistic, you know. M- order of space monks being charged with that decision um what we have you know when we have a decision that the patrol you would need to handle instead we have countries dealing with it and you know russia invading ukraine is the sort of situation where the space patrol would come and say "Oh, oh, oh don't do that or we'll nuke moscow if you don't pull your tanks back from from uh kiev uh we're going to nuke Moscow, but we don't have the space patrol. What we've got is NATO. That's all that's available. So NATO has to step in and do the role of the space patrol as best they can, um, which so far has not included nuking, nuking Moscow. And, oh, good. Uh, just as, just as happy about that because of that whole, uh, counter, you know, retaliation thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, all, I'm making the cringe face because, you know, the, the Jesus Christ, uh, Fred, Fred, can you mute while you've got back? Oh, if I can, <laughs> that was a hell of a noise. Honestly? I don't know what it oh, is. Oh, there. Okay. There we go. Uh, so I was thinking, um, you know, it is, it is a very different situation. Uh, NATO, it, it's supposed to defend NATO countries, Ukraine, not NATO country. Um, yes, they want to, you know, one faction wants to join NATO, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but uh, if you go the other way and you, you have Russia join NATO, what happens to NATO when all the, all the planet is a member of NATO? Wasn't there a brief period in the 90s, I think, where, Russia almost did join NATO. Russia asked to join NATO and was declined. Yeah, who who decided? Who there was somebody who? Well, that's the thing. Basically, right? talked them out of it. That's it's, the thing. NATO when, is a, is a council. I mean, you have the various nations. You know, jointly. I thought there was agreed. one influential person in the United <laughs> States who talked the president into vetoing it because there were some european countries or do i have that backwards do you do you understand how to funnel the money into 
your friends' pockets? The way you do that is you sell a lot of weapons. The way you do that is you have an enemy. You can't have an <laughs> an enemy if everybody's on the same team. What's so weird about NATO is it's a team, right? So when Canada uh, hears about 9-11, they say, oh, shit, now we have to go fucking fight in Afghanistan, right? It's a team. You, you're all all on the same team. If everybody's on the same team, you can't have competition. And then it becomes much more like the situation we have in this book, where you've got this one patrol for the solar system, and they go wherever they like and inspect whatever they like, and if people don't comply, uh, they will have the power, the ultimate force. They're the only armed force, as far as I can tell. There was no other people running nukes. Thing is, you can do damage without nukes too, right? There's a great uh, Greg Bear story called uh, "Wind from the Burning Wind from a Burning Woman," which is about a uh, quote-unquote terrorist who uh, uh, is uh, rocketing a um, uh, or deflecting and rocketing a uh, asteroid into the Earth, right, to do terrorism. <laughs> um, so, and I think actually it's mentioned, right? They mentioned the moon is, is, uh, also good at throwing rocks towards, uh, Earth. The harsh mistress, yes. Yeah, but in this book, they, they mention it, oh, but okay. they say, right. they say, uh, it's not oh, yeah, quite as bottom, accurate. Well, having a rock throwing contest where one, one of the guys is in the bottom of the well. Yes. Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of stories with that. What, what's interesting is he's developing, uh, this, Solar system. I didn't, I didn't remember from Between Planets that all the natives were female, but there are also some other natives there. There was like these, uh, little fawn guys who, uh, I think they're run-alongs or tag-alongs or something like that. Um, and there's dragons. <laughs> so I don't know if he's mixing up his, uh, like his, his Martians pretty much always seem to be three-legged and, or ball-shaped, right? Uh, but all the same species. And they're mentioned in here, uh, with regards to the missing planet, the destroyed planet, which I think later in Red Planet, we find out, which is maybe the next year. Um, in Red Planet, we find out, or maybe it's in, uh, Stranger. I think it's in Red Planet. Stranger. Stranger in a Strange Land, it was in narration that the Martians had destroyed right. the, they, uh, the fifth planet. The, yeah, they said basically uh, th they did some something wrong and we found them wrong. And so the fact that they the in this book that they nuked themselves is the takeaway. Um, well, it's not contradicted by uh, later books because all the Martians did was ignite the nukes, which is something we're told can not happen. He goes over and over it with his mom and dad, right? Don't worry, mom. I can't trigger it. In fact, when I put it in here, it's impossible. It can't fall on you. And dad's saying, just tell her that you would never nuke us. And he's Well, like, okay. It's a different continuity than stranger in a, in a strange land. Um, Oh because no, I think they're compatible though because they they nuked them, right? So how did they how did they nuke them? They said all those nukes are there, turned it on, right? Well, they have that okay, power to disappear things, right? From stranger, we know that they can yeah, disappear Martian, triggers or whatever. Could, yeah, the Martians could make the uh, the safety interlocks disappear. Yeah, and 
and apparently did they did i don't think that that would do if you like detonated every nuke we have on this planet the planet wouldn't break up into a whole bunch of different pieces so either they had a lot more nukes or the whole planet was you know uranium or something um so it doesn't really make a lot of sense there there are other authors um including some prior to Heinlein's and, and contemporary who are saying the same thing about the asteroid belt being a planet. Uh, and they said, mentioned sedimentary rock on here and that disaster that they investigate earlier, which is uh, completely forgot. I had completely forgotten the plot of this book. I just remembered there was a space cadet. Um, the plot is pretty simple, right? It's, it's basically training, um, a little more training. They go on a, their first cruise Cruise is interrupted uh, by this discovery. They cruise home, then they go to Venus on another patrol. Yeah, in terms of plot, that cruise, as far as I can tell, is mainly there to have some time elapse. But also, then you remember they find the um, ruin, uh, you know, derelict. So they divide the crew in half, mm-hmm. uh, and then as they're coming back to Venus. They get the distress call, so then they have to have a sub-crew again. And that's how you get to the point where you have a spacecraft that's really only has one uh, lieutenant and three cadets. And that's and then the lieutenant is injured. So now you get what Heinlein really wants is three um, you know, half-trained. Yeah, Boy Scouts, exactly. Excellent point. I, I actually want to do, um, I was digging up the original, which are all beautifully available in scans, little low res, of a story called Nothing Ever Happens on the Moon, which is uh, an expanded universe, which is now available as an audiobook. And uh, that story is only an hour long. It's it's kind of like um, the Ganymede book. What's the Ganymede? I always want to call it the last, the only tree on Ganymede. Or the one tree on... You're not talking about Farmer in the Sky. Yeah, Farmer in the Sky. Yeah. That's a Boy Scouts book, right? It was serialized in, in Boy's Life. As, okay, yeah, good. As was, um, uh, not this book, but um, that uh, Nothing Ever Happens on the Moon. Beautiful illustrations. And it's uh, very contemporary. I think it was 49, uh, that short story. So uh, this is, I think... Uh, yeah, he was an Eagle Scout, I think, in in uh, the Ganymede book. What's it called? Farm in the Sky. Yes. Um, so I think there is a continuity uh, between the Boy Scouts and the cadets and Starship Troopers. Um, he's drawing on the, those experiences as a young man. He's drawing on his Naval Academy experience. He's taking everything as the idealized face value of these things. It sounds to me like Carl and I, our fundamental disagreement is he believes in nation states. <laughs> well, <laughs> and I, okay. I, I'm like, I'm like, I don't think there's such, such great things. As, uh, I, I believe in nation states the way I believe in trees. Ah, I can damn, walk they out exist. into my front yes. yard and see a tree. And yes. if I take a chainsaw to the tree, it will fall down. And if I don't take a chainsaw to the tree and just stand there, eventually an acorn will hit me in the head. Mm. That's um, what they want you to believe. Who so. <laughs> <laughs> are the, the, the chipmunks I mean, in the tree, apparently? <laughs> you know, I don't 
you know, I'm not saying, you know, our current nation states are the ideal form of, of human organization, but however we organize, we're going to have humans. And, you know, this is why I, you know, Space Cadet opens with the classic Plato line, who will guard the guardians? Right. Because if the space patrol goes corrupt, it'll go corrupt fast, and there'll be no way to save it. I didn't think of this as uh, a response to Plato, but it is, isn't it? And he's saying, we'll we'll muddle through with good virtue and Boy Scout on. What what happens late in the book? we'll... We'll do it with standardized testing. But uh, what happens late in the book when he responds to an order? He gives us the wrong salute. Remember? Well, that's the Boy Scout. early early on. Yeah, his first salute, he gives the Boy Scout salute. Yeah, is that, <laughs> well, on his first official assignment, right? Like as a isn't squad that leader. just all about adolescence? Um, um, yeah, awkwardly assuming the adult role. I mean, that's when he's still on Earth and hasn't even gotten to the academy yet. Uh, yeah, but he's, he's, I think he would, it might've been like he was the squad leader because his name came first on the list, right? Yes. Yeah. But the thing is, is that idea of the continuity between the Boy Scouts and, and, uh, you know, high military office. The thing is, is you want, uh, it happens in Starship Troopers. Fred should know this much better than I, since he's read it recently. Um, he goes for officer, right? He's forced upon him, um, and eventually he's. Uh, he, and this is a point so I want. Pure that he doesn't think come up with the idea, yes. but once it's suggested to him, then he says, oh, yeah. "It's my duty, okay. right? It's the duty yeah. to these grunts or well, whatever, these and, apes." And he gets a sense that yeah, that I am officer material. Yes. So, it, officers are rare. If I have the talent, I owe it to the the core. So I, I tried to mention this earlier, and I sort of got sidetracked as usual. Um, but the, the four ghosts, uh, that are always mentioned on the roster, uh, one of them, uh, is called out in Starship Troopers. It's not called out in this book. And that's Roger Young, which Heinlein would have been very, very familiar with. He names the ship the Roger Young in Starship Troopers. It, it was a song in 1946, the ballad of Roger Young. And it, um, it's in Starship Troopers, which is a later book, but, um, it's all pre this book as well. Yeah. I- I don't think Roger Young was one of the... Uh... No, no, he's not mentioned in this okay. book. I'm just saying, okay. as an analogy, he fits the same role as these heroes. Um, uh, so if yeah. you, do you guys know the story of the actual guy named Roger Young? I have I have actually heard the ballad of of Roger Young. It's, uh, it's on YouTube. Yeah. Um, and, and read his... Read his Wikipedia page. Well, I, uh, one of the reasons I brought this up is because it's uh, going back to that point of Heinlein being an ableist, right? <laughs> which is uh, <laughs> insane. Um, is that uh, what is that phone call about? The phone call is about: Is your leg okay after the operation you had, where you were um, a cripple, right? Born a cripple. He's got a short uh, Achilles tendon, which means he would walk funny, right? Um, and he got that surgery so that he could be fit and able for, uh, presumably, for the Academy. Um, uh, Roger Young, uh, he joined the, um, the state, state, um, what's it called in the states? You have the reserves? State? National Guard. National Guard, right? So he joins the National Guard because he doesn't think he would pass the, uh, 
the regular army rigs, and then he's pulled up for um, for World War II as it's happening. Um, and he, the reason he wouldn't pass is because he got hit in the head as a kid um, and was partially blind and mostly deaf. Um, and then he goes on to one of those uh, atolls in the Pacific um, and uh, does some very heroic stuff um, defending his people as they get away from a pillbox. And uh, he dies. And then the song comes out about him and saying, like, he's very powerful. He's very um, uh, representative. He won the Congressional Medal of Honor. That's why sort of the story is important um, for, I think, getting it into a song that inspires Heinlein. So what's so interesting about this is that the connection in this book uh, between the Marines and they are proud of their tradition, right? And the, the, or they're, they, they have pride in the Marine Corps. Whereas in this book, there's the pride in the individual heroicism. And this is, um, uh, Fred's dream as well, right? The, uh, the, the confabulating of the scene where, you know, you're wrong. We're telling the truth. We have these bodies of these guys on board. That's the point. Like, I think that that's what Heinlein's inducing in you, Fred, that you remember that, is because that's what actually happens to Matt and his friends and his fellow cadets, right? Is I'm sorry, I didn't quite follow you. It's a little hard to understand, but basically Heinlein is trying to induce that kind of feeling in you as a reader by showing how they can be good um, silver well, men. I, I, well, well, yeah. I mean, he he says he he asserts that the uh, space patrol has these traditions, even though I feel like it can't have been around for very long. Anyway, never mind. We don't know so, how long those are, right? We uh, don't know how long, but yeah. he says it's, the traditions, it's been, but then he dramatizes been them, over like, a century. Okay. Yes, okay. it's it's a long. I, I think that the space patrol would have become corrupt by that point. But that's, that's, that's not, doesn't matter. That's, that's, that's irrelevant. But right no, but it My is engaging. Is he dramatizes it. He creates this four heroes who are lost. They're, as you say, they're ghosts. Um, and that, that is what, what makes you believe that, yes, this, this, um, core does have traditions. And then when they find the ship, that's like that, that mystical, uh, spiritual, you know, ghostly presence of the four gets Inside, transmuted yeah, into to them, the in, that, into their bodies, right? Almost, yeah, yeah. No, uh, no literally, with and the eating of their bodies. So <laughs> That's why I love this book. All that crap that happens in the middle, frankly, I, I on the reread, I found rather boring and rambling. I just there was no drive in the middle. So what no, it was relaxing, my friend. Relaxing is the word. Well, okay. But yeah. in any case. You're looking uh, at, you're always me, looking at it with a writer's point of view. The four ghosts. Absolutely. The, the three cadets um, attain this um, legendary status by their association with the ghosts. No, it's not three cadets. It's three cadets and a lieutenant. So it's yeah, four, well, my he's, friend. He's, he's in a coma. So he it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. He's well, still, okay. he's eating the actually, food. He, he rises from the coma to respond with the name of 
one of the four okay, heroes. Yeah. Sure, I'll grant you that. final roll call. It is. Yeah, I, I, I won't quibble on that point. But to me, it's all about the cadet, you know, the rite of passage, becoming a man, and these guys leapfrog in status from being lowly cadets. Like, they're not even in, really in the core yet, in the, into the patrol, to suddenly now, when once they land and the word gets out, and the inevitable, you know, cell phones come out and the um, the videos the videos of that ship landing and those three kids walking out the hatch that makes them instant. I'm seeing the I'm seeing the video now on on Twitter and it's uh, and it shows a very mundane landing of a very old looking spaceship and uh, one of the uh, cadets holding his. Is narrating the video as as the ship is landing. He says, "In keeping with tradition of the core," and that's the whole video because you're playing it up like it's like these heroes coming back when they when they do the uh, post mission interview. Right. Uh, he, he walks out feeling great, and he doesn't know why. Right. And and the reason is because there's nothing to say because you did an okay job, which is yeah, the greatest every, compliment any- ever. Yeah, at the anyone yeah. in the patrol would have done that, but but you because know, they're screw monks, that. Not I'm not glory seeking warriors. That's right, and I I'm yeah, I think that insight is very I good. I have a right to, to think that it's cool. Oh no, you're you're absolutely right to think that it's cool, but it it, it is. I think Carl's got it right. They are uh, monks on a holy mission. Um, now, <laughs> when we do look at the uh, uh, the actual crusades. Um, <laughs> we see there's like a lot of people on a lot of missions. Um, but, uh, we also come away with that. Um, very, I've been doing a lot of crusader books lately as well. Um, including, by the way, Fred, you totally will dig this book if you haven't read it. And I don't know, Carl, if you're into H. Ryder Haggard, but there's a novel called, uh, The Brethren. Have you guys heard of this book? I have Um, I'm aware of Haggard. I can't remember offhand if I've read anything by him. It's a tr- uh, oh well, you know he's got the famous ones that everybody knows about. She and uh, was uh, King Solomon's Mines and a bunch of mm. Alan Quartermain sequels and crossover. I just read but- uh, She and Alan. That was the first Haggard that I'd ever read. That was just a few months. ago. He's a good ago. writer, right? Uh, yeah, I had my problems with that book, but. I, I haven't read that particular in one. In his day, he would have been huge, yeah. So the the book I'm thinking of is called The Brethren. It's about two brothers who go on what could be seen as a personal crusade to uh, the Holy Land to get back their cousin, uh, who's the daughter, no, niece of Saladin. Um, and uh, it's, it's so it's like a crusader book. But they're not joining the Crusades. They meet up with Crusaders, and there's assassins in it. And it's just got two terrific female characters who are mirrors of each other, just like the two brothers who are... I I thought the book was going to be about uh, these, you know, Crusaders. It's not. It's about two brothers who go on a Crusader-like mission to save their cousin, who they also both want to marry. And there they meet a another half uh christian half muslim lady a different one who uh is half english as well as so like there's so many mirrors going on and they at the end of the book um they both want to marry the the girl right and they both do 
and it's still in keeping with the Christian tradition, and it's not polyamory. <laughs> and it's like, that is good writing, when you can set up this thing at the beginning, and it, it has this background. So Saladin uh, has this reputation of being like a very uh, good pagan, right? Or they wouldn't call him a pagan heretic. I don't know. You, he definitely had a moral code. He was very self-disciplined. Heathen, uh, I think. Heathen, sure. that's the word for it, yeah. Um, but it, he's also generous with his victories. Like, he released uh, people who promised not to, uh, you know, attack him again and um, was magnanimous in battle. And th- that kind of respect is amazing. Heinlein, one of his greatest sins, and it's not much in here, is actually the opposite. He strawmans uh, a lot of characters. I, I think this more in, not in these... Uh, juveniles, but in uh, Moon is a Harsh Mistress, there's a lot of characters who are completely unsympathetic. His They're, villains are whiny, entitled, yes. um, uh, lazy, incompetent. They're they're really terrible people. Yes, yeah. and and we have one here, um, but uh, and it gets pretty bad near the end of his appearances. But um, when he's in the core at the beginning as a cadet, and he's He's like, can't we just break the rules? Um, are we really going to do this? And he decides to go work for his dad um, and be the captain of a ship. Um, and it turns out, yeah, coincidence of coincidence. Um, it's called out. It's lampshaded, as they would say. <laughs> um, it, it, he's the one responsible for this kidnapping and harm done and killing people. Um, even if they're frogs, he calls them, right? Which is funny because... What's uh? What's the lieutenant say while he's uh, knocked out? Je soif. <laughs> I'm thirsty. And they're like, what is he talking about? We don't understand him. Let's give him some water. <laughs> well, soif is French for th- thirst. <laughs> so um, mm-hmm. uh, Heinlein is very, very good at plotting in this book. So I reject your idea that it's meandering, Fred. The, well, here... I think that maybe that, this isn't plot specifically, but when I was an editor, I was always asking for show me what the care the main character's goal is, and in this book, it's really just he doesn't know get better get better at the job so that I can stay in the in the yeah. patrol. Yeah, he I don't know. think that's a strong enough. Uh, but that's goal. not really his motivation. He wants to grow up, right? It's it's a little too vague. I don't uh, know. I think it does. I, I think it does exactly what Heinlein wants, which is to put the reader in the situation, right? So we don't know when we're young what we want. We want lots of things, right? But what we do know is that Heinlein can guide us. That's why we're reading his stuff. We're always surprised and impressed. And so reading as an adult is different. Like you didn't have those feelings about. It on your that first is read, a good right? Point. I loved this book when I read it as a twelve-year-old. Right? And one of the things yeah. that is so interesting to me about the people who dismiss Heinlein and saying you never need to read him, just read Scalzi, is that they will say it's so insane. What they will say is, "Yeah, I just gave away all my Heinlein books because I never need to read them again." I'm like, well, you're an adult; you don't have to. Of course, you don't. Nobody's forcing <laughs> you to read. But they say, "I wouldn't recommend him to people, even though I read all of his stuff." Like, what the fuck's wrong with you? Is there something they say is dated? It's sexist. It's actually, 
what's going to happen as soon as they set up the space patrol the space patrol will require all governments of the world to put Heinlein on the required reading list of all. <laughs> well, I mean, the uh, Marines so already require it for Starship Troopers, and right? that's how the corruption begins. <laughs> uh, now, one thing on... Okay, I will grant Space Cadet is not a tightly plotted book. No. Okay. Yeah, but it's not. I think, you know, the goal of the book was not to have, you know, an exciting story... I think he was probably more interested in saying, here's what your world government looks like. Do you think this will really work in practice? And even if it's the ideal form, would you like it? Because, you know, do you really want to have these warrior monks orbiting overhead with nukes? But he's not being subversive, right? I, I think I think he's not saying this is not a good plan. I I think well, he's mu- much more neutral about it. He, I, I do yeah, think. Yeah, I mean that's that, that's well hidden. If if he's secretly saying, you know, this is this is dystopia. Well, I I'm, think he hit it way too well. Okay, I think you know he shouldn't be saying. I mean, he should not be tossing out utopias or dystopias if he's doing his job right. You know, he should be saying, okay, here's a scenario people mm-hmm. are asking for. Let's take a good hard look at how that scenario would work in practice. Okay. Yeah, I'll I think that. he's exploring yeah. it for sure. And okay. And and the thing is, is the, one of the other things that I thought was interesting. There's a there, look, Fred. You can't really say Heinlein did a bad job with any of his plots because he's just so good at it, right? I mean, it's almost objectively true. But one, it's okay. Uh, I mean. Just uh, granted, sure. Uh, the thing is, is it, it, what is the book for, right? If we're thinking of it, it's a YA, it's juvenile, blah blah blah. That's fine. Um, it works really well for kids, uh, twelve and above, or whatever. Um, as a tight plot, especially notice, kids who have never seen a rocket that went to space. At that, yeah, I mean, makes sense, right? Um, so I just think like. One of the things that he puts into the book that's good, I, I, I'm an appreciate, I'm, I don't write that many stories and the ones I do, I give away because I'm not so, uh, <laughs> thinking that 12 copies of my novels good, <laughs> good enough for my sales. So, uh, one of the things I really appreciate in good stories is tight plotting, uh, and thoughtful reminders and, you know, how things connect and not leaving things hanging, right? Um, so one of the things that I see in here that's fun and interesting is when Matt goes back and does the job of his uh, cadet supervisors uh, at the academy, right? He goes back and organizes rooms and answers questions and tells kid, uh, don't worry, you're going to get your hunger back, right? He's doing right. the same job. So that's a, re- a reflection. And then why are all these new Academy kids coming in? Well, the Academy, you know, Space Patrol's dangerous, we're told, right? Um, and not so many people get to join. And I think the reason, or uh, ultimately pass through. And and well, I, and people retire in their 30s, right? That's, uh, well, I, I'm going to get to that. But um, it's dangerous. Uh, not very many people can join. Um, and why can't they join? Mostly because they're not fit. And what they're not fit, what means, what not fit means is they're dishonest about what 
their motivations are. They're overly attached to their tribe as opposed to the truth, right? They are... Um, uh, it's a temperament thing. Yes, it's a temperament thing, but also like a philosophy thing, like what is really important to you. So going back to... Going back to Roger Young. Roger Young was short. He was disabled. He didn't need to join the military. The reason he did is because he wanted to. And then once he's in it, uh, he defends his group and gets uh, rewarded with death. The only thing that can be more honorable than, uh, you know, doing that is nothing. The fact that he gets rewarded with a song and a book uh, naming a spaceship after him. That's sort of beside the point. The The point is, is that's what he felt like was the right thing to do. That's the thing that makes you a good patrolman. And then the idea of you're in space for a while, you do this job, and then you retire. Why is that? Well, that's actually kind of a model for stability as opposed to, and we see that in Starship Troopers too, right? What's the point of ser- military service in that book? or uh, civilian service as well, it's to get the right people voting. Heinlein is a utopian, right? It isn't fully ex- explicated in this one, but the idea of S- Starship Troopers is we're going to get the people who have actually seen combat, who have seen war, and have put in service. So uh, It's made more fun... More specifically, we're willing to die. It's made fun of in, in the Verhoeven movie, right? Uh, service guarantees citizenship, right? But that's actually not quite the message of Starship Troopers. The message is, uh, service guarantees, uh, participation in the ruling councils. And that is a very utopian well, idea that he's going for there. The book sort of gets overwhelmed with yeah, other stuff. You don't stuff. even get the vote until you are done with your but you, you But you have citizenship. You just don't have the vote. And it's okay. almost like um, what he's saying is we need to graduate uh, children into adulthood uh, via some means of testing and let everybody who doesn't want to be an adult uh, just play in the playground and have their say but not in the military decisions. And okay. this is a very utopian and very interesting idea. It's not fully explored in this book, but it is in Starship Troopers, at least a, a very present, although overwhelmed by a lot of the you know people saying he's a fascist. Here, here's a question that just occurred to me. Yeah. Uh, you, people retiring from the patrol at, at, uh, in their 30s. So there's all these... Um, Veterans, all yes. these retirees running around, do they have an outside influence? Um, do they are they still sort of pulling the strings? I don't. It might be. It might be that you're trying. That. To, it might be that you're trying to make. Like I think Heinlein went into the Navy and was regretful of having been out of it, but he thinks that he benefited from it, right? That yeah, that right. it that it helped him. And he's trying to give that benefit to everybody, just like being in the Boy Scouts will help you. Okay, so and okay, even in the Navy, it was pretty. You know, a lifer was someone who got out at twenty years, right? And it was hard to stay in past twenty years. It still is. You don't need that many uh, admirals, right? Yeah. So, um, but the the patrol breaks your ability to. Um, uh, to be a part of your parochial group anymore. 
So no, after you well, retire, do you sort of transition back to being a so um, I, uh, I think an earthy or, or I'll, what? I'll, I'll explain it by using my analogy. I wasn't in the military. I I wanted to join the Boy Scouts, uh, and when I found out I had to swear allegiance to the Queen. And had to buy my own belt buckle and my own belt pouch. I said, <laughs> fuck this shit. This is nothing I want to have a part of, right? Now, I did go to university. And I went there for 16 years continuously. And the reason I did that is because I found it really interesting. Not because I wanted to get many degrees. I only got one. <laughs> and it was sort of thrust upon me. I didn't want to do I'd, I wasn't interested in that You're part. You're a Zelazny character. I, I, I've been told that, right? I, although I haven't read that particular Zelazny book. What's interesting to me about this experience is, uh, having studied a lot of different subjects, um, and mo I, I, most of the courses I took were on philosophy, about more, a little more than 40%, I would say. Well, and nearly philosophy. everything was you took it because you were interested. Absolutely, because, yes. Some, yeah. some. Uh, there was a, a couple like early on. There was a couple you had to take a science, right? And I took the sciences I was interested in. Um, there's a lot more math, and well, I didn't take any math, right? Um, so the reason I, I did all that was because it was interesting to me. It makes me very different from a lot of people, but I can come and have a conversation with almost anybody. But when they talk to me, they don't usually come away saying, um, this guy hates me, this guy doesn't understand me, this guy is an asshole. They do that on Twitter. They think I'm an asshole on Twitter, and I'm abrasive on the podcast. But it's for the purposes of, you know, communicating ideas that I think, you know, would be cool. And what's also interesting is sometimes other people have ideas to communicate to me that are cool. And make me have a better understanding. So if it was my explanation for why Heinlein has these guys retire out, is the, these are the graduates of the like Starfleet Academy officer training program. They are going into this quasi-military unit to help you, the Federation or whatever. And coming out of it, they go into society, if we never see a lot of retirement, right, in Star Trek, but... Uh, coming out of it, that's actually how you fundamentally change society is by having people go through some sort of, uh, education. And what, what is Matt always being encouraged to do is you need more training. You, I notice you, you, you like spending time naked with your seeds in the, in the growery, but you're not spending much time, uh, hitting the books, my friend. Your, your fellow cadets that are hitting the books. That is not a direct quote, by the way. No, no, no. And and meanwhile, what's your next move? That's it's the in chess, right? Yeah, I'm I'm not a direct quoter generally. I'll put quotation marks around it if it's a direct quote. But the point is, I don't is, think the word naked appeared anywhere in that conversation. Well, no, they, he's they're he's nude in the growery, right? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. He is, but uh, I don't think the officer that, was. No, well, he. <laughs> well, that's the thing, right? Is the, the officer, officer was a monk? He didn't care. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, uh, some of the monks stay in the service, right, and don't uh, don't ever get married. Um, but yeah, that the, the getting out of the service and getting married, they tend to go together when you have a uh, a, a military service that is conscription, right. With today, you've got a lot of military people who are married who are in it for a decade or so, 
you know, three term, uh, three uh, terms or tours, and it wouldn't be tours, it would be terms, right? Um, and they live on base and their whole family's involved. So it, it is very different than the kind of military that Heinlein's coming out of. And uh, I think I think he's saying something along the lines of this is a is training for humanity. Yeah, we we can be done. Okay. Yeah. Just I think I'm oh, losing I, I my ability to focus. We got at this point. we got two hours in. That's good enough on this a very very solid. Book. Yeah. Just to, to follow up on your point, I think Starship Troopers has a much higher percentage of the population going through training. Uh, there Indeed. was, you know, I mentioned of some places where a majority of the population was actually, you know, going through federal service. Um, Space Cadet, you know, it's explicit that these guys are a very, very small, you know, distilled fraction. So I, I think the, the Space Patrol alumni are probably not that culturally significant. Yeah, that's a good um, point. It is. Yeah. Absolutely. Very good point. That ex- pretty much I think, explains. I think he's working on it. You know, like he's evolving. People say, you know, sometimes he's a socialist, sometimes he's a libertarian. He's always working on his ideas. And any, uh, maybe this is the evolution uh, Fred is seeing in me, right? Um, but I, I wouldn't classify it as uh, winged. <laughs> I would classify it as like, you know, Mar- Marjorie Taylor Greene, who I don't know almost anything about. When she says Assange should be uh, uh, gotten out of prison, we shouldn't be prosecuting him, she's right. When she says other stuff, she's probably wrong, but I don't hear about those ones. right? <laughs> so left, right, the distinction is sort of... Uh, uh, Rand Paul is right about a hell of a lot of stuff. Uh, when he right. t- well, It's when like he Carl talks. says, um, that's only one, one um, axis, and yes. it's increasingly becoming one of the less interesting ones even though people are stuck yes people are in those terms alone and and so it's like what modes can we get out of that's what's so great about Heinlein is he didn't think about everything the way conventional America did he was ahead of the game with his anti-racism stronger than the mainstream anti-racism right he was much more thinking it through and pushing it Push it, it, it's an ideology of anti ideology of you know racism, right. important. Well, and modern people, I mean, we've developed this uh, whole set of practices. These are the words, the, this is the way you talk about the subject, these are the words you must never say. And when you look at people from 40, 60 years ago who didn't, hadn't been taught those rules, and they're violating them. And if you're a very shallow thinker, you think, oh, well, there, there are yeah. races. Everyone it, was a racist back yeah, then. Yeah, Luke and said. Stop, stop and look in w- at what the points that they're trying to make, the, the, the goals that they're struggling toward. That yeah. is so much more interesting than their choice of what, what is the correct word in this decade to refer yeah. to this particular group. I mean, come on. It's just so tiresome. <laughs> Luke, Luke, in his review, said uh, the phrase "black of the, black is the ace of spades." That was not uh, the the word "spade." There is not an insult. That's just right. a, a colloquialism. And if you take it as such, you were uh, fundamentally miss. And I'm not saying Luke was because he wasn't. It, 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 this is the kind of thing that somebody would quote tweet: "Black of the ace of spades." This is a book that's canceled. Right? This is something that we can reject. Yeah. 
And it's not. Uh, yeah. It's the opposite. It's the something yeah, he, that you you learn to appreciate by reading a fucking book from more than ten years ago. It, it is actually you know, annoying seeing how you know people get worked up about words that were in common usage. Um, fam, family anecdote. So I'm sitting in my cubicle at work. This was a few few years ago, and on the family text channel, my daughter posts. Is wetback a slur? You know, with wetback in quotes. <laughs> like from 50 <laughs> years ago, maybe. Um, she had done a paper for one of her high school classes on immigration, and particularly immigration in the 50s. And so she dug on it, and she'd found the Wikipedia article on President Eisenhower's Operation Wetback, <laughs> which was his big, you know, get rid of... <laughs> You know, illegal aliens you know, thing. And she just cites it there, and the teacher freaks the fuck out, yeah, yeah. if you'll oh, yeah. excuse my language. Yeah. And I'm realizing, yes, and, you know, realizing, right, yeah, um, these guys did not have the, um, the privilege of visiting the uncle that I would visit, and, you know, so that I was kept thoroughly up to date on all racial slurs. Right. And, uh, <laughs> I mean, typical, we'd be leaving the place, and I'd turn to my mother and say, are Guineas Italians? And she'd say, yes. Um, so that evening, I took, I took my teenagers into the library and sat them down to, okay, continent by continent, here's the words you don't say, just so that you don't use them by accident, yeah. which is not training I expected to have to give my kids. There are three Guineas um, in Africa. Guinea means black, right? <laughs> there's a guinea in Asia. Well, there's words a bird. change over time. It's also yeah, it's a coin, right? Like right. Uh, the the Irish and the Italians, you know, pretty much in New York to get Irish and Italians to get along, there have to be a lot of blacks moving into the neighborhood, which you know, it's not a nice thing to say, but this is the observed behavior I've witnessed. <sighs> yep. The racism is still around. It's uh, not a real science. It's just, uh, you know, a cultural practice. Uh, we don't need to worry about Heinlein being one because he was the opposite of one. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, yeah, okay. Um, and people can't seem to distinguish between ignorance, nope, uh, thoughtlessness, all the way up to, you know, someone who's got an elaborate pseudoscience um who's written 40,000 words on the subject of why this group, uh, you know, can be differentiated from this other end, uh, uh, or, 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 and then, then the, and the other category of people who they just don't like those people and just wish they would all go away. Uh, um, yeah, I, I don't understand. Uh, it's, it's usually pretty easy to tell what's going on when you're uncomfortable because of something somebody said. Uh, it's not that hard to figure out what category they're in. We're good. Thank you, guys. Uh, I'm going to text you both uh, about future Heinleinian books. All right. Thank you very much for having us. Thank yeah, you. Thanks a lot, Jesse. And uh, I know Fred's um, very shy when it comes to large groups, so... He was lucky. Uh, yeah, I do. I do appreciate one. that three is plenty for these kinds of things. Yeah, especially when I can talk for five. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, guys. 
Thank you. All right. Thanks. Y'all take care. You too. Bye-bye. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com. And thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash sffaudio. Yeah, I thought, I thought, did I have him on the podcast before? And it's no, no, we just did a book of yours. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not appropriate to have the uh, guy who wrote the book on for his own book. But you can be on for other books. Yeah, but you want to bring him for a follow-up. It's like, okay, here's all the complaints we came up with. <laughs> Defend yourself. <laughs> uh, wouldn't you feel attacked, <laughs> quote-unquote? Well, it's like, the writer's group. It, it's like the writer's group thing. You go around the whole circle and everybody makes their critiques. And then at the end, you get to respond. Speaking of which, did you see uh, there was a tweet? Uh, I'm going to say his name wrong. Sisrova, Sursova, one of those guys. That guy. I think his name yeah. is Alex. I'm not sure. I've never talked to him in real life. Did we get Fred? Jesus. Sounds like he's hitting somebody. Don't be violent, Fred. Okay, uh, percussive maintenance on his microphone. <laughs> there he is. It worked. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, you're very distant, oh, but you're present. Uh, okay, let me um, fix that. Yeah, you fix it. Um, so there's a, a tweet this morning that was really interesting. Uh, it was... <laughs> um, it was... Um, Wow, I have to go back a little bit. Uh, more people, this is the, my response, more people are reading this tweet than most trad published novels. So Sersova tweeted somebody, quote tweeted somebody named April Henry. April Henry. Um, and the tweet was originally, OMG, in the Penguin Random House uh Simon & Schuster antitrust trial, it was revealed that out of 58,000 trade titles published per year, half of those titles sell fewer than one dozen books. Less than one dozen. Repeating it so it's clear. And I, <laughs> and I said, uh, more people are reading this tweet than most trad published novels. <laughs> and, uh, and then I went and checked the stats to make sure that that was true. And yes, it is true. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's look there's some you know the long tail of books goes way out i have one book it's a technical collection that i have a paper in and so it's tracked on amazon with me as one of the co-authors because i went and claimed it right and it has a ranking of like 21 million and that's after i bought a copy because somebody put it on sale for five dollars um, because he was just tired of this five pound brick cluttering up the shelves of his used bookstore right so there's there's a lot of stuff out there now 
I'm sure when that thing originally published, it sold like 300 copies to various engineering libraries. Yeah, but um, that's that's but not that's it. that. That's also like um, that's not your baby. That's like th- these are things that we need. You know, it's like a nobody nobody's proud of the um, of I don't know the uh, instruction manual for the IKEA. <laughs> <laughs> product table that they made, right? And you say, I, I, I sold 15,000 of these because 15,000 tables went out. Well, no, nobody's proud of that, right? But you say, your baby's so ugly, 12 people bought it. And that's 12 stores bought it, right? Yeah. Or I, maybe it's on Amazon as well. Um. You're, you're so, your baby's so unremarkable. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> And then um, on the other end of the scale, you get uh, Brandon Sanderson, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is uh, I don't I don't know what his numbers are compared to J.K. Rowling, but they got to be uh, pretty close. Well, he's not building a house out of gold bars, but uh, <laughs> he's doing pretty damn well. <laughs> but is he filling a swimming pool with hundred dollar bills? He probably could. Hey, um, how small the pool. levels on my microphone now? Better, much better. Yes. Okay, good. I got it switched to the good microphone. It, it, okay. Good. It said you were. Uh, I hadn't chatted. With, it says chatted with you over in over a year. So what's going on, Fred? Why why is this taking so long between uh, conversations? I, I, I've talked to I, Carl Gallagher more this year than I have you. <laughs> um, you know, if if you could find a way to make the stock market go up 20% rather than down 20, 20%, I would have a lot of more time on my hands. I, I can think of several <laughs> methods to do this. <laughs> I think it's easier to make it go down than go up. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean. Yeah. Well, inflation works on the stock market. Yeah, no, I, I have. It's uh, got to be real, real 20%. I've seen some declines <laughs> in my stocks, and I'm not a stock guy. <laughs> not my personal stocks my personal stocks are sky high but uh yeah my investment stocks not so sky high that's okay boy jesse you you every time i check in with you you have become more uh you are embracing your inner late stage capitalist absolutely and it not. really shocks me absolutely not you, it just appears that way fred i understand oh. why um, but no, I'm I'm the opposite of a late stage capitalist. And I'm uh, I'm. Let's move this to the uh, uh, post scarcity uh, apocalypse. <laughs> okay, we're driving. We got to drive. The, uh, I mean, I may be an accelerationist a little bit, but I don't think so. I'm just more uh, amused on the sidelines, paying attention. Right. Right. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Of course. yeah. Um, Watching the sidelines using your large screen tv and your craft beers and your i haven't had a craft uh, beer designer dog breeds and uh, no those are my mom's dogs (laughs) (laughs) i do have i do have two large screen televisions um but they uh, they do not have cable so i I use i use them to pirate uh movies and put them on thumb drives you know i was watching rollerball last night 1975 Hmm. Um, I never saw that. It's good. It's good. Um, I, I have, but not since uh, the 80s at the latest. It's good. It's um, a, a podcast I listen to called uh, Golan Globus Theater, which is out of Detroit. 
Uh, they just had a Charlton Heston month for July. Uh, the Charlton Heston, uh, neckerchief trilogy <laughs> from the seventies where he, he's, uh, various, uh, uh, well, oh, I guess it's the sixties too. Um, Planet would that the be Apes, Soylent Green then? Soylent the Green, Planet of the Apes and, uh, uh, Omega, Omega Man. Man? Yeah. yeah. And, uh, they, yeah, I gotta grab my copy of the book. I'll be right back. Yeah. No, no worries. Um, so, uh, they, they figured, oh shit, there's a third, uh, or, uh, an extra Wednesday in in the month when they released their shows on Wednesday, so they did Rollerball as a follow up, and uh, it's good. I'm I'm about halfway through. It's long movies, two hours plus, but um, I'm enjoying it. And I, I had read the short story before. I think it was published in Esquire. So that, that's good. I like old movies. And, oh, although I did just watch the Top Gun movie as well, and uh, I thought that was um, uh, the best part was uh, the F-14, uh, and I'm like, this is most obviously Iran, but why did they change the logo? <laughs> yeah, so I haven't seen the new one yet. It's, it's on good. my list, but it's been a uh, busy couple of months here. The original Top Gun I had more or less memorized because back when I was a cadet, I had some classmates who would pretty much just keep that movie on a loop. Mm. It's um, so you were comforting you're the real propaganda cadet in this conversation. Wow. Yes. Uh, yeah, I think that's. Fact, that I, I was a cadet, and I was in Air Force Space Command, so I was, in fact, officially a space cadet. All right. Well, then, eminently qualified. Conversation. Yeah. Um, uh, Normally, I have uh, um, pre-chat show stuff. It's basically a warm-up, and then uh, that's where I'm um, I'm all spicy and nice uh, about other stuff, and then during the actual show, I'll, I'll, I'll attack you. Like Fred was trying to attack me, but mine is much more <laughs> savage. <laughs> no, Jesse. Now that you've morphed into from a hard left populist into a hard right populist, it's we interesting. Right? Have, like so much more in common. Though. Well, it's really interesting because I, I I see uh, there's a lot of um, people who are like they're saying oh, he's right wing now. <laughs> not not yeah. about me. But about well, I, I know, I know you. You're probably sitting here thinking, I haven't changed a bit. It's the entire the rest of the world that's gone crazy. Well, some, and I, I some sort of, of get that. I, yeah, I can, I can imagine how that happened to you. Well, the thing though is, right. is yeah. it, the, I think the left and right wing thing gets people confused. Like, uh, I vote, I, I voted for one party in Canada um, because they're the ones that are the least shitty. <laughs> um, yeah. and, and also, you know, are running candidates in my riding. Um, but I'm not a big believer in democracy either because <laughs> oh, it yeah. gives me right. these shitty choices, right? Um, but the whole, like, uh, saying someone is right wing for a lot of, uh, quote unquote left wingers is an insult. Where, yeah. and, and, and it used to be that there was some teeth in that. But today, if I hear somebody say, oh, oh, it's right wing, I'm like, yeah, you, your head's so far up your own ass, you don't know yeah. that the, there's like, there's been a, like, a lot of flip. Like, I don't know yeah. almost those, those anything. Those categories are simply 
Well, it's it's a terrible most useful anymore. A, yeah. a one-dimensional model is terrible anyway. Oh, yeah. I actually have a um, a blog post where I you know go on about you know different models and then explicate on the favorite one I found, which is this you know three-dimensional model. And so here's the you know kind of six different directions you know people tend to go in politically on combinations of the uh, the axes and um, actually no eight it wound up broken in into eight. <laughs> it's a hypercube. And then of course because you're having first past the post voting, all of those get squeezed into two parties, mm. which are these very uncomfortable coalitions. And the weirdness is when you have you know, suddenly one pole, you know, there's enough of a drift on the boundary layer that, you know, one one pair of groups flips across the dividing line between the coalitions. And that yeah. tends to freak a lot of people out. Well, the, a lot of people aren't, like, paying close attention to the details, and a lot of the people feeding those people, the what little details they get are playing to the tropes they already know rather than, you know, trying to break new ground or come to some new understanding or actually find out facts or anything like that. And there's that. a lot of money in concealing uh, the facts and distracting people. Oh, yeah. The, uh, the, the There's one guy I talk to uh, every once in a while. He's a boomer. And he, uh, he watches, uh, you know, the January 6th hearings all day long and thinks this is very important <laughs> threat to, he's, he's in canada he's a, it's a threat to our democracy <laughs> yeah, yeah. jesse and i'm like no democracy was taken away from you a long time ago but uh, <laughs> read read the princeton study <laughs> 2014 it shows that you know the rich and powerful get exactly what they want almost always and and everybody else gets nothing almost every time <laughs> it's like well that that reminds me of uh this romanian woman who has a who converted to the hard right wing, and I listened to her podcast. She was laughing about the fact that they were having at one point uh, um, Black Lives Matter uh, protests in Romania in response to the weird. Uh, George George Floyd situation. And it's like, really, the the police in Romania are so efficient and uh, morally upright that they you do not have a single domestic uh police uh controversy that you you can protest yeah no 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 it's uh the george floyd thing is is where it's happening you know that's you you look their status as a global i don't know what citizen by protesting something that happened all you know a quarter of the way around the side of the world well the in in a certain sense right we're like the reason I care so much about American politics is because you, you, your government controls my government. Right? Well, sort of, yeah, that's true. But, uh, I, I, almost completely, right? Like, uh, the, there's some provincial sovereignty, but <laughs> not that much. Yeah. I mean, well, culturally, it's just over. I was, I was on the, the provincial, uh, you know, we have a big island, right? And going over to the island, you have to get on a ferry and the ferry is, is a crown corporation, right? It's owned by the government. You, they've, they tried to privatize it. Uh, one of the governments tried to privatize it, but nope, nope, it was saved and still Crown Corporation. So I'm, I'm waiting in line to get my, uh, uh, coffee breakfast, uh, special on this, uh, 
federal, uh, provincial ship, right? Provincial boat. And, uh, and the menu, it, it flashes ads, you know, for Coca-Cola and, you know, what's on the menu. And then fucking stand with Ukraine. Like, what the fuck does the provincial government have to do? And uh, there you go. You see my, uh, uh, provincial leader, the one who I voted for the party of is, uh, you know, going on and on on Twitter about how it's very important that we stand with Ukraine. I was like, dude, <laughs> what the fuck? Why are you doing this? You're not, yeah. your job is to control the province, not to, you know, get involved in, in wars in Europe. Well, see, I don't mind provincial, you know, prime ministers getting sucked into the Twitter mob on Ukraine. It's what bothers me is that we have this actual war going on and, People, you know, the the actual NATO leaders are making their decisions based on the Twitter flash mob instead <laughs> of like making choices with a strategic end in mind. I mean, I don't mind getting into getting involved in the Ukraine war. You know, I have strong opinions, which are you know actually somewhat on topic for this uh, podcast. Good, good. Um, given given that we have NATO essentially playing the part of the Space Patrol. Ooh, uh, in this that's a hot, spicy take. We'll say, save that for the show. Yeah. 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 But, you know, but we need to have strategic decisions not catering to the to the Twitter mob. And I think know, I think you got that backwards. I think that the 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 Twitter <laughs> mob is um you know like th- those those are the people who are like cheerleaders they're not they're not driving the the dialogue right it's it's the other way around they're they're saying like hey i'm on board with this and th- and i think that's why the pro- uh, the provincial premier they're called premiers in provinces even though that's it is the same job as the prime minister it's just to make it clear uh, no, uh g- g- governor versus president right um, to make it right. clear, we understand. Uh, but all, we actually have governors as well, <laughs> but they're called <laughs> lieutenant governors in the provinces, and it's a oh, governor cool. general in the in the federal. But they're the same job. In any case, oh. um, you know, like I can't I can't control Justin. <laughs> He's far away. He's several provinces away. When he comes to visit, I'll spit on him and tell him he's a bad <laughs> person. There was a great uh, video of a. Uh, uh, some crazy guy who has some justification for being angry, yelling at the deputy prime minister when she showed up in Calgary. And it's all on video. And, and people are this is violence. He's a terrorist. And it's like, no, he's just really angry at her. And he hates her. And says, get the fuck out of my province or whatever. Um, it's not a, uh, you know, it's not violence. And so there, there are a lot of people who they put their Ukraine flag in their their thing but i don't think i think this is like a it, it, look it's it's a war that's bad but i think about world war one as being a stupid war we shouldn't have been involved in world war two is a result of world war one uh if if we're still a colony of britain we have to do what britain says um when do we not get to be a colony of britain oh now we're the colony of the united states oh shit <laughs> Maybe we should get into this book because I think we're we're gonna go right into the uh Yeah, let's do it. Uh all right. Um so uh it'll be Jesse uh saying his name, then it'll be Fred and then Carl. Yeah? Okay. Alright. Um uh so it's just I'll say hi, I'm Jesse. Fred'll say hi, I'm Fred, author of and big long list of books. 
Um, and then he has to tell us how many copies were sold. <laughs> <laughs> if it's more than a dozen, you're, yeah. you are, you're going to be uh, well above the mean. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, Carl, you can say your name, uh, you know, your rank as a patrolman, uh, whatever you like. <laughs> and then I'll talk about when this book was published. Okay. All right. Here we go. Good.